the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour uh, served as uh, a teacher in San Francisco's inner-city schools for 40 years, and unlike most of his colleagues, he didn't place his faith and uh, his future in the teachers' union or the government. Instead, he became a real estate in a real estate investor and entrepreneur, as well as being a jazz musician. So he's uh, smart and cool. Anyway, he has a new book that uh, promises. Uh, thought-provoking insights into the way the economy really works. It's called Income and Wealth. His name is David Parker. He joins me by phone. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, I'm not even sure where to start. Well, yeah, I am. I I know where I want to start. Are there two different economies in the U.S.? I would say there's one economy for the whole world, and there's one price for the whole world. The Economist magazine has an index called the McDonald's Index, the price of a McDonald's hamburger everywhere in the world. And, and if it's different, it's because that country is probably unstable and has inflation or has corruption, and the price of the hamburger is higher than it should be. And... Uh, American labor is very high. American consumers will somehow find a product from abroad and, and purchase it. Attempts to go around the market are a mistake. There's one market. 
what I was what I was getting at, David, is you know I hear elected officials and and economists talking about uh, you know how well Wall Street is doing and that the the economy is roaring, and I always think to myself, not in my neighborhood. Um, there there just seems to be a, a, a problem with the haves and the have-nots. Is there something that the have-nots should be doing that they're not doing? Well, I guess that's one way to approach it. But, you know, people who have, or who, are, who are making money at the moment, the moment is the key. Things don't last. Um, every, in 1961, the Dow Jones Industrial Average <clears throat> had the top 100 companies of the world. You would think that those, in the United States, you would think those companies would still be there. Three of those 100 companies are there today. Fifty years from now, people are going to say, what's Facebook? Never heard of it. So, you mean it'll so end up like MySpace? <laughs> MySpace too. <laughs> people are already people are already forgetting their passwords and can't find their MySpace pages. At least I can't. You know, I'm a very successful person in business. I don't own a cell phone, and I rarely use a computer. And I am not on Facebook. I don't even know what it is. Well, yes, I do, but hardly. I, I still have a flip phone, which I get razzed about. I have a rotary phone. Are you kidding me? I've been waiting. I've been waiting for the cell phone companies to come out with a flip phone with a rotary <laughs> dial. I'm, I miss rotary dials, uh, David. Um, but let me—is it true that um, you went back to school to study math, finance, and economics uh, before writing *Income and Wealth*? Yes, I was, uh, I, I was carrying around with me since the age of 12, insights. I have a, a feeling for, uh, for real estate and for money, I guess you should say, from childhood, 12 years old. And uh, I started to write, and then I, <clears throat> my wife took a look at it. She says, I think you better take a class in economics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as simple as that. And I went to the school, and I have a degree, so I started in the graduate program. And I go, oh my God, I can't do graduate economics. I better go back. <laughs> I better go back and take economics one, and uh, and I did. And, and, and algebra review again. I took sixty-seven units of math and economics, and then I sat down and started to write the paper that I wanted to write. That was Income and Wealth. What did you discover during those classes that informed the book? Well, I suppose I started off like, I'm from San Francisco, so of course I'm like people from Flint, Michigan. We're, you know, we're progressives. <laughs> 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 Until I started taking economics, and I realized maybe I'm not quite that progressive as I thought I was. I'm a kind of a, I'm a classical liberal, or you could say a classical conservative. Well, a friend of mine used to refer to that as um, being socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Yes, that's another way of saying it. I have 
all my friends are liberal, so I have to use the word liberal when I describe myself. <laughs> you romantic liberals, I'm a classical liberal. That's the only difference. <laughs> and I realize that there's, this is my opening statement to you, that there's the principles of economics, there's only three or four, <laughs> are timeless. And they, um, from the Greeks up to now, and through the future. I, I suppose if I had to classify myself, I would uh, probably think of myself as a Baroque libertarian. Well, like Baroque architecture, <laughs> sometimes is <laughs> not that pretty. Well, <laughs> what <do you> <laughs> we've all be, we've all been Baroque at one time or another. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I started off broke. I, yeah, I know what that's all about. Yeah. Um. Jazz musician, I, I, I just want to jump off on that for a moment because I, I, I too used to, I used to make a living playing music. Well, not much of a living, but uh, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's how I fed <laughs> myself. Um, but what instrument or instruments do you play? I, I played, um, for a while I was playing professional French horn in the Berkeley Symphony Orchestra. Oh, wonderful. And then as I was getting older... I had to commute across the Bay Bridge, if you've ever been to San Francisco, and the traffic is terrible in the Bay, in the Bay Area right now. Yeah, I drove through one week. <laughs> and so I, was, I, I, was, I barely made it on time for a rehearsal. I raced in there, I sat down, and I had to count 153 measures. I remember the piece <laughs> we were playing, and I finally had one note to play, and I came in, and the conductor stopped the orchestra. He says, David, mezzo forte. I says, Kent. That's Kent Magano, the world-famous conductor. I says, Kent, I didn't drive across the Bay Bridge for three hours in traffic and count 153 measures to play mezzo forte. <laughs> you could have heard a pin drop. I bet. And I says, oh, my God, I think my day's over. I'm going to... I need to play more than just one note for 153 measures. I'm going to go back and play a little bass, which I played in high school. And I got real serious, and I became a pretty good jazz musician. I have, I'm, and I hire the best musicians in the Bay Area. And uh, now we got, so good, we got so good, we were we were we headlined the San Francisco Fillmore Jazz Festival two years in a row. Very I'm real, nice. I'm a really serious jazz musician now. Well, on, the, on the bass. Oh, on bass. On yeah, oh, sorry. I, and I switched to bass. I played in high school because I need to play every beat. I can't play one beat for, for 153 beats and wait and play another beat. Well, and every beat. And there aren't a lot of uh, French horn jazz gigs. Well, no. But even the even the jazz gigs <laughs> for bass. To be honest, I'm I'm, I'm subsidizing the band. That's how much money I'm making. <laughs> because I, cl I, have a, I have a sextet, and sometimes I have eight musicians. It's like practically an orchestra. I go on the set, the band, the owner of the club says, I'm not going to pay 200 bucks a for each person coming in here. I'll pay what you can. I'll make up the difference. <laughs> well, let me get this straight, David. You went from driving across the bay and waiting 153 measures to play one note <laughs> to right. putting, put, to putting five thousand dollars worth of equipment into a five hundred dollar car and driving a hundred miles 
to make 50 bucks. Yes, there it is. Okay. So and I'm proud, proud of those 50 bucks, too. <laughs> <laughs> I so earned those 50 bucks. It's, it's, probably, it's probably a good thing that you do real estate, too, David. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. you're bringing it full circle. That's correct. So I taught school, and after a few years, I realized I couldn't afford to teach school. I used to quit. I love it so much. So I uh, started teaching part-time. Do you uh, teach music at all? Yeah, I was... I was... I was uh, being a, being a teacher and a musician, I, I would think it'd be hard to avoid doing that. Hard to avoid what? Teaching music. Giving music lessons. Uh, well, you uh, brought up something. When I started to I got my teaching credential in California. I was getting my credential in French. I majored in French in college. I studied in France during college. And I, but I couldn't help talking to the band teacher <laughs> during my breaks. I had to roll over there. Hey, man, what's happening? And he, and he says, what are you doing? Come over here. Conduct the orchestra a little bit. Take some sectionals. I'll write down on your credential that, <laughs> that you're student-taught and band off. Also, you never know. You might get a... And the first job I got was teaching music. I never taught French in my life. I owe that guy... <laughs> <laughs> I owe myself for walking over intuitively, and, and then he intuitively knew he better sign, put me down for a music tour, credential in music, and I got a job right away, and I taught music all the way, my, my whole life, and then I ended up my last year teaching very young kids, eight, nine, and ten. Now, you must have been pretty serious about wanting to play music. Not a lot of people who play French horn, um, you know, they, they play it in... Uh, maybe marching band or certainly a symphonic band in high school, maybe college. Um, but they don't typically stay with it. I mean, they, they get out of school and they put it down and never play it again. But to, to go on to play in the symphony, you must have, uh, there must have been something about music. You must have had the bug. Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I was playing piano. And my, my father says, and I said to my father, I wasn't, Elementary school. I want to play trumpet too. He says, "You're playing the piano. That's enough." <laughs> and because uh, I don't want to hear the trumpet. And then uh, I, I insisted. And one day he put his foot down. All right, you start practicing piano four hours a day, and I'll get you a trumpet. And I did. I got up at six in the morning and I practiced. And when I was ten years old, four hours a day on the piano. Went to the conservatory, <clears throat> and then. Uh, when I got into middle school, I played trumpet, and the band teacher stopped to Parker. Go over there and grab that French horn and try that. <laughs> and I played the French horn and says, that's your instrument. You have an awful tone on the trumpet. Play the French horn. That's your natural <laughs> instrument. Oh, that's <laughs> said, funny. Right in front of the whole class, he told me that. And then I became a, and, and here's a teacher for you. And I, be, and I just got very serious. And when I, after college, I went back to school and got a master's degree in music after my degree in French, and uh, to get perfect my French horn playing. Then I auditioned for the Berkeley Symphony, uh, 28 horn players. I got it. Well, David, I hate to uh, cut you off there, but I have to take a short break. Can you stick around so we can talk <coughs> some more? 
Yeah, we can even talk about the book. Okay. I was sure. yeah, I was thinking maybe <laughs> we'd talk economics. <laughs> we'll be right back. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my, uh, my guest this hour is uh, a uh, jazz musician, teacher, uh, real estate investor, and entrepreneur, and the author of a new book called Income and Wealth. And uh, we're going to continue my conversation with uh, David Parker uh, in this segment. Uh, David, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Well, one of those commercials was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and I wasn't timing it, but I don't think it was a full 153 measures. Seems like it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it often does, David, it often does. But I promised when we went to break that we'd move off of music, although I, I really enjoyed you sharing uh, uh, some of your your uh, music experiences. Um, but let's, let's talk economics. Um, f- you know, I, I talk about you being a jazz musician, a teacher, real estate investor, You've done all of these different things. A lot of people get advice. Some says, you know, go where the money is. Some says, do what you find the most rewarding. You'll be happier. Um, is it one or the other? Or have you found in your life, and, and do you express in your book that it's really both? Well, you <coughs> one of the subjects of the book title is Income and Wealth, and I'm saying that they're two separate matters, that a person really should follow their heart and do what they want in life. Be an artist. Open a restaurant. <laughs> you might not make a dime. Those are two tough fields, but do what you want. If wealth um, is another matter, another subject, another discipline. It has nothing to do with your income. Professional investors, such as myself, in fact, don't even put money down when they buy a deal. They finance it 100%. It's a completely different mindset. I, as a, as a school teacher, never made money, and then I was teaching half-time. I was making less than nothing. Yet, I never made more than $20,000 a year in my life. And I never spent less than a hundred thousand dollars a year in my life, and I never, <laughs> and I never purchased less than a million dollars worth of real estate per year in my whole life. There's no, I, I'm the example of my book, and I give an example in that book how a person on minimum wage working for McDonald's can become financially independent in ten years. And that's by you acquire income. Um, producing assets. Real estate is probably the best, but I suppose some stocks, if they pay dividends, that's all right. But you buy them leveraged. High a loan as you possibly can. You buy a, a single, little single-family house for 150000 a year, for example, or an apartment. One a year for 10 years, those loans pay off and the rents go up, and in 10 years you're financially independent. And if you don't have the money, if you're working minimum wage, just cut back your lifestyle, which is 
almost everybody in this country is way people living over their means to save half of your gross income. A lot of people are really gun-shy now about real estate, David, because of what happened in 2008. Well, I'm not living in Michigan and San Francisco, so it's a kind of a a booming center, but prices dropped if they came back up. And even if they don't come up, if they don't go, that's not the thing. Those loans pay off on those. You buy a house for 150000 it's not going to be... Seven, that house won't be seventy-five thousand ten years from now. It'll at least be one hundred and fifty thousand. It'll probably be a little bit more. Where do you find a house for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in San Francisco, David? Well, my book <laughs> says no, because I give an example of an employee in San Francisco on minimum wage. But you, you better get your spouse involved in this, in this enterprise <laughs> in San Francisco. You better put her to work too, working at McDonald's. And then if that's that's probably not enough either. So get a maybe get another partner or two people so you can buy a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar apartment or something. If you're living in Sacramento, California, you can do it. Or lower. If you're living in Flint, Michigan, I probably without knowing. I'm sorry. It's probably less also. Oh, considerably less in Flint, Michigan. There was there was a time where people were sen- selling houses for less than five thousand dollars a piece. On Craigslist. There you go. Buy five. Buy, go buy ten of those houses, and ten years from now, provided you can get somebody to rent them, the loans will pay off. I mean, the loans will be down in twenty years. They're completely paid off. Or but doesn't that, cash with But but doesn't that put you in the position of being a uh, a landlord and and having a lot of. Uh, maintenance and and oversight to do on those properties or do you hire that done yeah i hire that guy i have i have hundreds of units i i don't even know i own them (laughs) it's completely under manage under very good management don't you ever call me and they don't in fact under management it's a hidden secret you think you're giving away, you know, a chunk of the profit. The manager is usually more aggressive than you are in in renting. I'm a soft. I'm a soft touch. I can't. I can't well, I was going to say it certainly. Anything. You certainly the, couldn't have started out with hundreds of properties and with people doing uh, the almost, work for no, you. Almost. I started off with yeah, with nothing. I worked my way through school. I had no parental background uh, aid. And I started off in the, in the oil embargo of 1970. I'm not sure. 73. Or, or 73, yeah. No, 73, 74. You there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. And uh, I was selling a little bit, learning to, about real estate. The interest rates flew to the sky. Nobody could sell property. And I said to all the people, I'll take all your property. I'll buy it on a note. And he says, fine, thank you. I, I paid him a fair price. They felt good about it. I gave him a note. My first year I started, I bought four properties, two houses, a pair of flats, and a four-unit building. Year one, knowing nothing about real estate. It paid, it paid, that's one way, and the, my, the, that's what I do for professional investment. I think about how to finance property. 
I bought property where the seller paid me 10% cash to take his property. Bought a 22-unit building that way during the, the 1990 SNL crisis. These crises come up all the time. Those are great opportunities. Instead of buying one a year, you can buy 10 in one year. You can do it right. Just take over a mortgage when the, when the market drops. Sometimes those mortgages are worth more than the property itself. There you go. You don't need a down payment. There's no place to put it. Take it. I'm just giving you an example. And so being a landlord, I'm a soft touch. I can't raise, I can't charge high rents. And if they can't pay rent, oh, just pay them whatever you can pay. I'm, a, I'm, a really, <laughs> I'm an easygoing lefty when that comes I'm not a landlord in that sense. So I, I just threw the whole thing to management companies. They're aggressive. So, they, so what I'm paying them, they more than earn by getting higher rents than I ever would. So there. How did... How did your holdings fare this last year and a half during the pandemic? Um, so I have office buildings, I have industrial buildings, I have apartment buildings, and uh, everything held up. Um, we think the office building would have dropped. In San Francisco, office buildings are half to three quarters empty, even now in San Francisco. But somehow... I bought a building in, in a little town called Walnut Creek, just across the bay. It's not so little, and uh, uh, and I bought it from. Uh, it had one owner, and I, and I talked to a leasing agent. We decided, let's mom and pop this thing, just like an apartment building. Let's break it down instead of having, you know, ten, 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 twelve thousand square foot offices. Let's make one thousand square foot offices. Let's make twenty five <laughs> tiny little offices. And we did that. And during the during this last pandemic, when offices were emptying, my tenants are are are, are moms who <laughs> 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 want to get out of the house and have an office. Nobody left my office building. I was <laughs> I didn't I didn't experience any any, any anything. I, yeah, I, I a little loss of rents. And uh, for the first time this week, one of my leasing agents said he rented an apartment that had been on the market for six months. At pre-COVID level, is turning around. I couldn't believe it. So these down cycles, when they turn around, they come back with a vengeance. They come back higher. So now you taught to, you taught school in San Francisco. Where do you live now? In San Francisco, and I live in a little house. In <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I live like my like one of my musicians. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't show off, and you would never know. I'm, I'm hanging out with the guys, uh, and my. I have a very multicultural band. All, all the guys from the hood. <laughs> I, Wait. I have a rap. I have rap singer with me, so you would never know. I, I, I'm in this. I, I'm in another world of uh, Jeff Bezos. High finance. High <laughs> <I> finance. <laughs> you would never know by talking to me. Well, David, it it sounds like. Not all of your holdings are in San Francisco. How do you, how do you decide what you're going to invest in? Uh, mostly. In fact, I'll give you an investment tip. Buy in rent-controlled cities like New York or San Francisco because that is such a distorted market, and people think it's in favor of the tenant because they get this. I have, I have one tenant living in a one-bedroom apartment with a view. He pays $336 a month. 
<laughs> those apartments are worth about twenty five or thirty five hundred. And uh think, boy, he got he's making it off like a bandit. No, I'm making it off like a bandit because to have rent control means that the city that you're living in is restricting the supply of housing. San Francisco needs about three hundred thousand units and the city allows about a thousand or two thousand a year. I says this is perfect. So the demand to live in San Francisco so far exceeds the supply that the price of housing just goes way beyond what it's worth. So I, I, that that building is a, a small building. I paid 500000 for it in uh, ninety-five. It's worth about $3 million today. What do I care if this guy's paying $336 a month? With your, your new book, Income and Wealth, <laughs> is... Is it a um, an an overview of the way economics works, or is it a step by step guide? No, it's it's the only step by step is the how a McDonald's worker, but really step by step, every single dollar and tax benefit and four hundred one k and everything you can think of is in that example, and it's quite surprising how it works and how, how beautiful it works. But that's, and my publicists for the book are always talking that, and you're talking that in one sense, because that's a, a marketable thing. But the book is mostly about the basic laws of economics and, uh, and some of the myths about government regulation of the economy uh, that, they sh- that I'm saying that they shouldn't regulate the economy. The economy self-regulates much better than the government. Now, see, that doesn't sound like a lefty at all, David. But I am for regulation. I'm saying the market would regu- regulate itself better. And the government can, can be like a, uh, a, a master with a, with a finger pointing at the market. If you don't regulate it, we're going to come in and regulate you. Okay, 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 we'll do it. So <laughs> I'm saying the market <laughs> will regulate itself better then if the government steps in. Under the threat of regulation. Yeah, under the threat of regulation. And, the con- and consumers want it, and the, and the market wants it. No, no person wants to have a product that, that they think that consumers think it's not regulated or it's not safe. If you buy a lamp, I think it's a nationwide company called UL, Underwriting Laboratories. You buy a, a, an appliance, electrical appliance, you know that UL sticker goes on the bottom of it. You should look for that sticker because that regulation is far more serious than any, um, even the U.S. Drug Administration. They're, they're, they're more serious. That's a safe product if it's got a UL sticker on it. You don't need government. That's an example of how the market can regulate. And, the gov- and uh, yes. Well, it's setting standards for itself. Yeah, that's high standard. In France, because I, I go to France often. I'm shocked that they're very socialist in a, in, for many things. But uh, um, building regulations, they have, they have no planning departments and building departments, no, no oversight. They let the insurance companies regulate uh, uh, housing construction because they're far more serious because they're going to pay if something <laughs> wrong. And, and that to me is like a, was a shock. Here, a socialist country throws regulation of housing construction to the insurance companies. 
a completely private solution. I'm talking stuff like that. I'm not talking anti-regulation. I'm talking the market does it better. And showing examples of, of how that happens. Yes. My editor is a is an Occupy Wall Street guy, and he said he would never take me as a writer with my wild theories. He says, but my, I give such good examples that it's so compelling, he can't, he can't put it down himself. So he, so he accepted me. I'm the only person who appears to be on the right in his stable of writers that he edits. How long, I, back up, I back up everything I say. How long did it take you to write the book? I've been taking notes on it for quite a while, and, and that after taking those classes, sat down, and then it came out probably a year or two. It, and, and I guess uh, the next question is, with everything you've done, being a teacher and an investor, entrepreneur, jazz musician, now author, do you have the writing bug? Is there another book in the works? I read and write three to five hours a day, and I have for the last 30 years. I have a jump on a lot of people. My second book is coming out probably in a few months, and uh, it's got a, I'm hoping, a funny title. It's called A San Francisco Conservative. (laughs) Good, good, good. I was going to put parentheses, not that conservative. And everybody says, no, no, you don't have to. It's understood. It's funny. Leave it alone. So... (laughs) That's my, it's coming out very soon. It's, it's, it's finished. It's being... Well, it's an oxymoron, it. isn't it? That's, I use that word. I'm hoping people will pick up on it. This is fun. Um, so, most people wouldn't imagine that they would be able to borrow money to invest. Right. In in That's starting out with with no with no track record with no right. real credit to speak That's of. Why I, That's why I gave the example of the worker. You're sounding off in the distance a little bit, David. That's why I give the example of of the McDonald's worker legitimately going to work. He is not a professional uh, purchaser of, of of real estate. He's going to put a down payment like everybody else, like I did when I, no, not like me, but like everybody else. <laughs> um, and so you save, that's what I'm saying, you save half of your salary and you live a Spartan lifestyle. Maybe you have to live with another family. Maybe you got to share an automobile, share the Internet, get your expenses done, walk to work. <clears throat> Just get, those, get your expenses done. Buy rice, buy 50-pound bags instead of a one-pound bag. Get your cost down. For, for, uh, and do it when you're young, it's easier. <laughs> Agree. And then, and, and then in 10 years, you're, you should be financially independent. But a lot of people, uh, you know, think that it takes that just to get the down payment for a home to live in. Yeah, you can live in the house. The first house you buy, live in it. There you are. You want to. You don't have to rent it out. But you're saying right away go for the next property. Every year, you buy one a year. You should have 10. That's your goal. Then you can stop. Then you're financially, you should be financially independent, according to my statistics. Then you can uh, 
You can go to work or not. You go to work, you're going to be making twice. You'll be making twice. Now, when you say you're um, reading and writing every day, um, is that writing working on a new book, or do you have a blog somewhere? I don't have a blog, but I've uh, I've written five books, and uh, but only the second one is coming out published because, uh, and I have two more that I have a thousand pages of notes for. Uh, I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, David, but you're my kind of crazy. <laughs> I, I am reading and writing three to five hours a day. I can't can't stop. I, I just read a book. I was up in Lake Tahoe for the week. My family and, uh, and my four grandchildren. God, and uh, uh, and I read a book on Andrew Carnegie because I knew I'm kind of like him without knowing. It. I'm gonna let me get. Read his auto, his biography that was just written four or five years ago by a professor in New York uh, University, and I said, "Man, that's me." Eight hundred page book. I read that book and I and I wrote an essay based on that. So I have tons of tons of essays that are that could go into a book or they stand alone. Well, David, the the book I, is, I can't stop. <laughs> the book is a great place to start. It's called Income and Wealth by David Parker, and David, we're we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your your work, your writing, past, present, and future. Um, and now you don't have Facebook and Twitter and all that, but do you? But have I do a, have a website. I do have a website. Uh, David Parker Essays. www.davidparkeressays.com. Excellent. The McDonald's chapter is right in that. On that on that website, and uh, the book doesn't cost very much. You can and you can purchase it from a website. You can purchase it on Amazon, of course, under David Parker Income and Wealth. And probably where other uh, where other books are sold, you might have to ask for it in some uh, local bookstores. But Income and Wealth by David Parker. David, it's been fun talking with you this morning. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me and the listeners. I had a good time myself. Thank you. <laughs> All right, David. Take okay. care. Keep up good. the good work. Thank you very much. All okay. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, David Parker. He taught school for 40 years at, in uh, San Francisco's inner city schools, but at the same time, he was investing in real estate and was an entrepreneur as well as being a jazz musician. And his, most of my jazz musician friends know his... Uh, his wealth didn't come from that, but he now has a, uh, a book called Income and Wealth that provides readers with thought-provoking insights into the way the economy really works. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when uh, we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, uh, we have some messages as well. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow is Wednesday, which means armchair politics. Plus, we're uh, also going to be talking with a candidate for Michigan Attorney General. Um, and we have a special guest joining the roundtable tomorrow, uh, Seth Radwell, the author of American Schism, will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter.
Anyway, we'll take a break. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We have a little bit left to go. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening and welcome to the Money Program. Tonight, on the Money Program, we're going to look at money. Lots of it, on film and in the studio. Some of it in nice piles, others in lovely clanky bits of loose change. Some of it neatly counted into fat little hundreds, delicate fivers stuffed into bulging wallets, nice, crisp, clean checks, pert pieces of copper coinage thrust deep into trouser pockets, romantic foreign money rolling against the thigh with rough familiarity, beautiful wayward calicute banknotes, filigree copper plating cheek by jowl with tumbling hexagonal milled edges rubbing gently against the terse leather of beautifully balanced bank books. Sorry, but I love money. All money. I've always wanted money to handle, to touch the smell of the rainwashed florin, the lure of the lira, the glitter and the glory of the guinea, the romance of the rouble, the feel of the franc, the heel of the Deutschmark, the cold antiseptic sting of the Swiss franc, and the sunburned splendor of the Australian dollar. I've got. Ninety thousand pounds in my pajamas. I've got forty thousand French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira now. The Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, 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 money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anchor for the bunchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, round, round. You can keep your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. But money, money, money makes the world go. Money, 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 money. I wanted to get some new girlfriends So I went and bought a Mercedes Benz A waste of money Eight thousand bucks down the drain I thought the girls would get wild and reckless So I bought cultured pearls and a diamond necklace A waste of money That cost me four thousand more They were returned I got no girls they repossessed 
the car and the pearls I styled my hair just like Cary Grant's bought a pair of those new tight pants a waste of money household finance took my pants <laughs> The female gender, I just don't get it. Just when I'm out of both cash and credit, I found a honey. And this is what's funny. She don't need my money. She works for household finance. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
remember when the day is done and your tired mind says that the race is run. Your people tell you something that you know deep down is true. Oh yeah, when you put on that old record, blues will take good care of you. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. We got out to a little bit of a clunky start because of some technical glitches here in the studio, but managed to get them turned around within the first few minutes of the show and ended up having a great show thanks to the great guests. Authors uh, David Parker, um, his book Income and Wealth, talking about the, uh, and talking with the author of Like Other Girls, Britta Lundin, and uh, also the author of uh, the third in her uh, Langston trilogy, Being Clem, from Lisa Klein Ransom. Don't forget tomorrow's Armchair Politics special guest, uh, Seth Radwell, the author of American Schism, will be joining our roundtable regulars. Plus, we'll have a uh, candidate for Attorney General to kick things off. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.